It's Wednesday, July 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Happy July 1st. And to you as well. Can you believe the year is half over? I really can't. They go faster and faster the older I get. They do. I don't know what that means, though. Um, I think it's because you and I both have children. <laughs> that could be. I remember uh, my sister uh, telling me one time something that she had heard, which is, as soon, it was one of those things, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, that's absolutely true. That when you're a parent, the days are long, but the years are fast. That's and, fair. And that's kind I, of it. I never get used to even writing the new year, and then that's over. <laughs> I have to, And then I don't get used to writing the next new year. Uh, <laughs> we are going to dip into the full mailbag and cover a broad range of topics, because we've gotten some really, really wonderful questions to dig into. But let's start with a little bit of news, and that is General Mills' fourth quarter results. General Mills, one of those companies that I, yes. I knew looking into the results today, it's one of those companies that I know, oh yeah, General Mills, big producer of food. Yeah, yeah. they have. A, and once I go to their website and start clicking around, I say, oh yeah, they have even more products than I imagined, right. and they're operating in more countries than I imagined. Plus so, Hamburger Helper. But, <laughs> but breakfast cereal, oh, yeah. vegetables. Cake mixes, you know, Betty Crocker, Cheerios, all the all Haagen-Dazs ice yeah. cream, frozen pizza. Lots of uh, our finest brands. <laughs> So the I don't know about our finest brands, but some of them sure are yummy. Uh, the the results themselves for the fourth quarter looked pretty good, at least relative to expectations. The profits were higher than expected. Right. Once you strip out some things, yeah. but but that's the thing. You, you like you dug into it deeper than me. What what's the headline here other than our profits came in higher than expected? Right. So if we take a step back, the story with General Mills, and it's the story with a lot of our food companies now, is that. America's tastes are actually changing. We're, we believe it or not, are becoming more healthy. We're looking to more organic foods, less sugar. Um, you see it in the beverages, um, Coca-Cola and, and and all the other beverage companies as well. And that's really putting um, a damper on top line growth. Um, and these companies, um, like General Mills, are doing their best to diversify and make their offerings. Uh, more healthy. General Mills, for example, recently acquired Annie's, um, the organic food company, to try to um, put some healthier um, options in the mix. So, with that as the backdrop, um, results are relatively good, understanding that there's some headwinds here um, to, to the fundamental aspects of the business. And in order to fight that, they've been doing um, quite a bit of cost cutting, a lot of restructuring, layoffs, um, reducing headcounts. Um, and, and taking a lot of costs out of the business, so they're able to um, grow that bottom line by reducing their costs. You, you don't necessarily want it. that can't happen forever. You right. need to see that top line um, growing. Um, this quarter, that strong dollar that we keep talking about over and over again had an impact. Um, but if we strip that out, um, we saw growth, and they're predicting growth for the future, but only maybe you know five ish percent um, on the bottom line um, net income. For this year, so they're putting up growth, but it's it's relatively lackluster. They're, they're this and other food companies as well. As I said, you know they've got some challenges ahead, um, but it is a, it's, it's a fine run company, and they do a nice job. Three point two percent dividend yield, um, relatively stable company. Not very cheap, though, in my opinion, for a company that's only going to be growing kind of the mid-single digits for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, you look over the last couple of years, and the stock has more than doubled what the market has done. But I, I want to get to something that we have seen with 
other larger consumer brand conglomerate type companies, Procter & Gamble leaps to mind, which is the methodical shedding of brands. And so, one of the better known brands in the United States that General Mills is reportedly thinking about getting rid of, selling off, is the the green giant vegetable brand. It, I, mm -hmm. I, I got to be honest, I was a little confused because I read a couple different reports, and it, it is this something that they looked at doing? It's, and it's then more of a rumor, I think, and it's a rumor based on the fact that they took a very large write down this quarter, two hundred sixty million dollar write down on the value of Green Giant. They took a look. And they realize the assets that they're carrying on their balance sheet for Green Giant, the values of those are too high. They needed to come down, um, which is an indication that the Green Giant business is 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 hurting, for lack of a better word. Um, if it's a non-core business, if it's hurting, it's possible it could be be of better use to someone else, um, and they could perhaps capture some value by getting rid of it and continue to focus on. More core brands moving more into healthy, maybe making some more acquisitions like Annie's, and refocusing the business that way. I know they would never break it out by brand, but wouldn't you love to see what is the most profitable item they have? Yeah, I really would. That'd it's got to be Hagen dazs You think? Well, it's such expensive ice cream, and you get so little of it. <laughs> And it goes so fast. <laughs> and it goes so damn fast. Radio at fool.com is our email address. From Alex Hume, right here in Alexandria, Alex writes, I hear Tableau Software mentioned all the time recently as the new data visualization software enamored by federal agencies for big data analytics. I first heard the name of the company about two, three years ago before Tableau was the front runner in a pack of many similar services. Fast forward to earlier this year, and I discover they are public and the stock is on the rise. I was keen to invest, but noticed that it was trading around 1,300 times <laughs> earnings. Cur currently, is that a problem? Yeah, is that high? Uh, currently, it's sitting around 5,700 times earnings. I know the Motley Fool discourages short-term sales and all, but how much PE is too much when considering growth potential in a relatively new business? Um, did other big growth stocks witness similar PE ratios in their early days? Is this a huge red flag to potential investors, or just something unique to a growing business? Uh, hmm. Um, Two things. One, yeah. I'm sure it's a huge red flag to a value investor like you, but we'll get, right, to, we'll but get to that in a second. Secondly, um, one of the things I love about this email was just the, his opening line, I hear about this company all the time. I'd never heard of this company Me either. until he sent this email, right. and then I started talking to Mark Brooks um, and Johnny Weathersby, our tech uh, folks, who, who yeah. work in our our business intelligence, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we use huh. we use Tableau software." And Johnny was and actually you know, showing me some stuff. And the great thing about it, as far as I can tell, is it makes um, data analytics a lot easier to digest from for people like me who just don't have that skill set. Interesting, and you're seeing actually the the excitement from other people, not just the people you spoke with, because the numbers are pretty impressive in terms of growth um, from the revenue line. But let's take a step back, if you will. We'll, we'll give a second. Are we going to get back? We're going to gonna teach for a second <laughs> okay. here. The company has eight billion dollars in market cap, so the value of all the company's stock is eight billion dollars. Last year, for the full year, they made about six million dollars in net income. That's the thirteen hundred times we talked about. So, but what does that mean? Okay, that means if you owned one hundred percent of this company and they made six million dollars a year. And they didn't grow, and you put that six million dollars in your pocket every year. It would take you thirteen hundred years to break even. Okay, now is that the kind of investment you want to make? Something that takes thirteen hundred years to break even? The answer is obviously no. 
that's where now we have to start talking about growth. Okay, the company, as I said, is really growing, somewhere between 75 and 100 percent growth in revenue over the last several years. Very impressive. The problem, and problem, problem might not be the right word. The issue is that a company like this also needs to grow its research and development expenses to keep up and innovate and, and develop new products, and that is growing right along with that revenue growth. So you're not seeing any net income growth to speak of. Um, net income is anywhere from zero to, like I said, six million dollars in any given period of time, any given year. So that's not impressive, and you're paying really high price for. For the stock as a result. Now, having said that, Chris, R&D expense won't go up at that rate forever. At some point, they're going to have their product suite nicely developed. They'll always have to have some R&D, as tech companies will, but not as much as they do now. When the R&D expense comes down, net income will soar. So, in, for example, 2014, $110 million of R&D expenses. If all of a sudden they didn't have that, net income would, would go up to probably 70 to $100 million instead of five, depending on their tax kind of situation. And now all of a sudden you're at an 80 PE instead of a 1300 PE. The numbers work pretty quickly in your favor once the growth starts. So if, if you want to buy this company at, let's say, a reasonable growth multiple, um, Let's let's call it a thirty multiples. That that's a high multiple, but it's it's reasonable for a growth company. Uh, this company Tableau would have to put up about two hundred sixty million dollars in net income, versus an adjusted of what I just said at about a hundred if you take out R and D. So the investor has to say to himself, Can this company, in my opinion, capture market share, innovate, put forward products that people want, get their cross structure such that? Two hundred sixty million dollars is in is in the cards in the relative near future, and that is possible. I haven't analyzed it enough to say yes or no, but that's how you have to look at all these crazy high PE companies. And we've seen it. Google, of course, had huge high numbers. All all very popular tech companies at one point in time before their net income ramped had very high PE ratios. Well, and it also you also have to take into account. Well, where does this fit in my portfolio? Right, and if you're the type of investor, and there are investors out there, there are investors here at the company who are like this, who are who are looking to build a portfolio, almost if not completely, uh, consisting of high growth potential stocks, mm-hmm. and you, and that's the way you want to invest, and you have the stomach for that. That's great. I think that is great as long as you you understand that. And a guy like me, I I typically don't. Pay up that much for the future that is by definition unknown, and as a result, I miss so many of these amazing technology kind of companies that you know will give you ten and twenty and thirty baggers. I'm okay with that because I'm not very comfortable with paying up for the future. Someone like David Gardner, our co-founder, is amazing at this type of investment, has the stomach for it, thinks long term, buys a lot of them, and he does capture those twenty, thirty, forty baggers. And hey. Good for him. Email from Dr. Rick Zabrodsky in Calgary. Uh, he writes, "Happy July Fourth to my southern neighbors. Thank you, <laughs> well, and thank you. and happy Canada, happy Canada Day to our our neighbors to the north. Yes, yes. Okay. Today is Canada Day. Uh, he writes, "Where is the foolish ethical line, or is there one? As a physician, I have never owned tobacco stocks. Ten years ago, when I realized obesity was a sugar issue, I sold my shares in Big Sugar." Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Kellogg. However, as I still use plastic, drive a car, and fly in a plane, I therefore still hold big oil stocks in addition to my Tesla Motors and Solar City 
holdings? Uh, it's a great question. Mm. I, I, I think that this is yet another arena where it becomes a very personal issue. What, what, what the What the ethical line is for me in terms of the companies I want to invest in is is not going to be the same for you or anyone else. You took the words right out of my mouth, and because oh, we of can that, move on. Oh, no. <laughs> because of that, there is no standard foolish um, writ large um, line on ethics. It's an individual thing, but it becomes a little bit dicey when you do this professionally, because perhaps I don't want to own a tobacco stock for personal reasons. But does that mean I shouldn't fully analyze it and recommend it to you, who might have different morality than I or different ethics than I? Um, and and where is the line? The line is different for everyone. Um, then you have to also say, well, how 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 much are you going to dig into your companies? You know, tobacco that's easy. But there's a lot of companies that maybe have subsidiaries that aren't front and center that you don't agree with. Are you going to are you going to dig deep into every company? Are you going to look at your mutual funds and see if they hold companies that you don't agree with? Um, most people probably don't do that, but ha- you know, where, how far are you going to take it? And as you started saying, it is an individual decision. Well, and that's you mentioned mutual funds, and I think that this became big uh, probably 15 years ago, uh, 15 to 20 years ago, I would say. Uh, the idea that. Uh, mutual funds started to be created that were quote unquote social, social yeah. socially responsible mutual funds. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even for those, you need to look very deeply and, and think about well, what are the issues I care about? What are the what are the things that are sort of out of step with who I am as a person and how I live my life? Uh, because even within the socially responsible funds, right. you can find individual companies that, that you don't that, agree with that don't really work with. So yeah, individual decision. How far do you want to take it? Do you think that also is part of why Altria has been such a monster stock for so long? That there are increasingly numbers of people who are not just giving up smoking, but saying, you know, I I, I don't want that, and therefore the the pool of potential shareholders is smaller and that in a weird way helps drive up the price a little. Uh hmm, I'm not sure. I or have to I think about that. that. I think you might be overthinking okay. that. Um but there you know the supply and demand for any given stock certainly um has a basis in, you know, is it out of favor or sugar companies right now that like, like you know General Mills food companies are they in favor out of favor? Is does that dry up demand for the stock or increase demand for the stock? Well, and as as we talked about with General Mills and you, I think you alluded to this, if you look at what Coca-Cola and Pepsi, but particularly Coca-Cola, yeah. when you look at what that company has done over the last 10 years in terms of its own portfolio, what what is Coca-Cola investing in? Yes, of course, Coke and Diet Coke are sure. the big drivers, but they are increasingly Moving towards things like honest tea and things with smaller quantities of sugar in them, and they're smart. They're they're changing with the times because if you don't, you're in trouble. From Levi Waddell in I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Levi uh, in South Dakota, he writes: I made the dumb decision to buy into marijuana penny stocks last year. I had five hundred dollars that I wanted to put into the riskier side of my portfolio. That five hundred dollars is now worth around one hundred dollars. Mm. Lesson learned on throwing money into those kinds of stocks, hoping one takes off. My question, though, 
is I received a card in the mail telling me I am part of a class action lawsuit against Grow Life Incorporated. I'm assuming that is the penny stock. Right. If I file my claim and join the lawsuit, I will get a small amount of money and a few shares of common stock. Have any of you ever been involved in a stock that has had this come up? And is it usually a good idea to file and receive my small part of the settlement? I'm a faithful listener of Motley Fool Money, Market Foolery, and Industry Focus, and I love all three. Thanks for all you do. Thank you for listening, thank Levi, you, Levi. And thank you for admitting right out of the gate <laughs> that it was a dumb decision on your part to buy marijuana penny stocks because one of them's going to be a big winner. Uh, really? <laughs> it's hard to I'm, say. Oh, just but, but the question is not really about marijuana stocks. Let's talk about class action lawsuits. Um, in general, I think there are too many of them. It's typically mostly about lawyers trying to make money, and the lawyers do usually take a big, big chunk of, of a settlement here. Um, but that's not to say that they're all um, bad, and there, there there aren't some that are worthy of your attention. Um, I've never participated in one, I don't think, personally, but I have professionally when I was a hedge fund manager, and very successfully, I, 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 if memory serves, tens of thousands of dollars I, I was able to recapture. Um, but you have to take it on a company by company basis. It's pretty easy to participate. It's you know some paperwork that kind of can be a pain because you have to document all your purchases and all your sales. And if you didn't keep good records, you got to go to your brokerage and, and figure all that out. But you know, in, in, in an hour or two, you can fill out the paperwork, and then you just sit back and you wait to see what you get. Um, very often, it's nothing. Sometimes it's just a bit of money. Um, and every now and then, if the company really did something that is, is egregious and, and has to pay up, whether it's directly from them or very often they're insured, um, and they'll settle these suits, um, so it's not a protracted kind of thing, you can recapture. So, case-by-case basis, you got to think through, what what is this lawyer suing for? What is the class action suit all about? It Does it have merit? I'm I'm curious though about his comment that uh, if I join the lawsuit, I'll get a small amount of money and a few shares of common stock. Is that is that a common occurrence that that as part of a settlement you would get? Because if you're filing the class action, and again, I'm not a lawyer and neither are you, but if uh, it's like, well, if I'm suing, yeah. what do I want with a few shares of the, of the stock? It's like a payment in kind settlement. Okay. You're receiving you're receiving payment in stock rather than solely in cash. It's not something I'm actually really familiar with when it comes to class action suits. I would be wary of that, and you first have to ask yourself, do I want to own the shares? And if I if I get them, can I just liquidate them immediately and turn them into cash? Um, or is the stock, like like a penny stock, really a liquid, and, and everyone's going to be doing that, and the stock's going to get crushed even worse as a result? Um, cash is better than stock, I think, in a, in a circumstance like this. I just realized all three of these questions, while being about different topics, the one thing they all have in common is the sleep factor. That that if you're looking at a growth stock, if you're trying to decide should I own shares of a company that may be at odd odds with my personal ethics, um, in the case of a penny stock, just you know on some level wanting to just have this whole thing behind you, the sleep factor never underestimate the sleep factor. <laughs> sleep is good. Sleep is a good thing, but it's all but also as an investor. I mean, I don't know about you. You've you, both with your professional life and and probably with your personal life as well. You have bought and sold. More companies than I have, but the ones that I have sold, I, I really, I really don't dwell on them. You know, it is one of those things where I've had occasions where I've lost sleep either because it's a growth stock that I don't really know what they're doing, or it's I'm losing money and why do I still own these shares? And once I 
rid myself of that stuff. You're able to close the door. I'm able so, to just shut the door. I on think that. that's really important. I think learning is really important and dwelling is very, very dangerous. So learn whatever you can from from the decision you made. Did you buy a penny stock on a whim and you didn't really do your homework and you were taking a shot? To me, that's I call that gambling. That's not investing. Um, or is there something else going on? Learn from, from what you did and then move on. I do like uh, Levi's thinking in terms of he's got a portfolio and he's thinking, well, I've got this allocation of money. I want to take a little bit more risk. I think you Fine. and I applaud that. Absolutely. Just take a risk with something that isn't a marijuana penny stock. Right. And, and again, um, an investment that is riskier does not have to equate to speculation or gambling. I think there really is a difference between the two. You can buy a stock that has more risk, but you can still do your homework and still be a proud owner and still like the management team and, and have all those good things that we, we like to see in, in all of our investments. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, no buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>